This is the Author Archive podcast. In this episode, there's a conversation that I had with the author Ed McBain. Now, Ed McBain isn't quite what he appears. Ed McBain started life as Salvatore Lambino, then he became Evan Hunter, then he started writing the 87th Precinct books, which are which were and are incredibly successful under the pen name Ed McBain. Now, when I spoke to him, there were about 50 of these books, the the 87th Precinct. So they feature the same characters. So I said, well, Ed, do these characters actually age? No, but I started the series in 1956, and they were in their 30s. Corella, uh, who was one of the lead characters, just turned 40 about two books ago. So they age... Slowly. Slowly. His, his, his twin children are inching their way toward puberty. Corella has to work with a big bloke in this. What's his attitude? What, when he has to work with a colleague, what, how does he feel? Fat Ollie Weeks is his name. Oliver Wendell Weeks, detective first grade, is a consummate bigot. He is an all-hating individual. He, he makes no distinction uh, among the people he is going to hate. Uh, he is outspoken. He is insatiable in his appetite. He considers himself a dashing flirt. <laughs> and He's a rather strange character. I, I don't know why people like him. I really don't. He's odious and obnoxious. and uh, He has only one saving grace. He's a very good cop. Isn't it comforting to read about people who are worse than you? Maybe that's it. I don't. Or, uh, people have told me uh, they like the fact that he speaks his mind. You know, whatever's on his mind, and he really does. Whatever is on his mind, um, they have told me he says things they wish they could say. But the, the things he says are horrible. So I don't understand why they find that admirable. When you're sitting there screwing these words out of your own psyche, do you, does it cause you pain? Pain. Yeah. Or is he saying things that you would wish you could say? No, no, no. I, no, he, got, he, he says things perhaps that I used to say before I knew better, you know. Uh, I, I don't mean knew better than to be politically correct, because I don't care about political correctness. But I mean, uh, when I was young and growing up in the, the milieu that I was growing up in, I was considered okay to be anti-Semitic, anti-black, all that. And as you grow and you learn and your, your world widens and you meet people, your attitudes change. So perhaps Fat Ollie reflects uh, what an unenlightened person might, might express. This book was written before September the 11th, and in fact published in the States before September the yeah. 11th. A bit of it is creepily prescient, isn't it? I know, it's rather scary because um, I started the book in April of the year 2000, and I FedExed it to my agent on December 20th. And I started the book tour in the States on September 6th and landed in Chicago on the morning of, of the World Trade Center bombings. And a large portion of the book deals with an act of terrorism in, in the city, a city not unlike New York. And we were driving to the hotel on the morning of the bombings, and uh, we heard the news on the radio. And it was just mind-boggling, you know, uh, because the people in, in Money, Money, Money are involved with 
not only with terrorism but with Al Qaeda and Bin Laden and they're being financed by uh, I, when I read now that they're following the money trail I think yeah exactly so it was kind of startling and I've, I've gotten email from people saying, has the FBI contacted you yet? You know, and because it is very eerie. But you started having these thoughts almost two years ago. Yeah, but you see, they weren't original thoughts with me. When I first concocted the idea of money uh, being involved with somehow with terrorists, uh, I just went to the internet. I, I, you know, I don't have a, a band of spies who go tell me about Al-Qaeda. I went to the internet. Everything I know about terrorism, I got from the internet, available to anyone. So it, it, it didn't, it seemed surprising when the World Trade Center bombing happened, but I wasn't shocked. I thought, ah, there it is. Your guys don't think big like that, though, do No, they? tiny, small bombings. Uh, uh, much the same as the, as, the, as the bombings that go on every other day in Israel, you know, a cinema, a, a bat mitzvah, uh, what have you, any place where people gather, which seem to me likely targets and easy targets. And what's their aim then? What, in, in your fiction, what is the, what is the well, aim in, you give in, them? In fiction, as the, the stated aim of, of Al-Qaeda is to the, the removal of the American presence in, in the Arabian Peninsula and, and killing Americans all over the world, wherever they're found, until that happens. And uh, the, the, the aim of, of, the stated aim of the terrorists in the novel is to just let America know you are vulnerable. We can strike anytime we wish, anywhere we wish, and you can't stop us. And I, I, I happen to believe that sincerely, that uh, you know, unless you, you're going to search everyone's handbag going into a movie theater or a, a concert hall or a public library, you, can't, you simply can't do that. And anyone can walk in and leave a bomb under a table and go home. The world is scarier. It's, it's, it's a lot scarier than it was when I first began writing the That's 87 what I was precinct thinking. novels. Yeah. You know, back then, the, the first 87 precinct novel was published in 1956. And at that time, uh, a Saturday night special was a dangerous weapon. You know, you could buy it for 25 bucks on the street, a 22 caliber pistol. Now the bad guys are armed with AK-47s and Glocks and what have you. Uh, back then, there was some smoking of marijuana among jazz musicians. Um, there was a little bit of heroin, but limited to the ghetto. Now, if you wanted to be absolutely realistic about crime writing, almost every crime would be drug-fueled. You know, the engine of crime would, would have its origins in, in drug dealing. So it has really changed. The, the fact even that I found amusing when I learned about it, this was after I wrote the book, that one of the Taliban's main uh, uh, means of support was taxes on the sale of opium. You know. when, when you started, I mean, reading up about you, you wrote a movie in the 50s, Blackboard Jungle, which was actually the, the beginning of rock and roll in movies, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't write the movie. I wrote, I wrote the novel you upon the which novel. the movie was based. Yeah, Richard Brooks, who directed the film, wrote it. And he chose... Uh, Rock Around the Clock as the movie to play under the titles, the opening credits. Uh, 
there's an, an interesting story about that. He was in uh, Boston, I guess it was, on some kind of promotional tour, and the Blackboard Jungle was playing in a local movie theater, and he went in to look at it. No music over the titles. The, the movie starts, no rock around the clock. So he ran upstairs to the projection booth and he says, hey, your sound's off, your sound's off. He says, no, it's not. He says, yes, your sound is off, but he's, he says, no, it's not. And the, so he says to the guy, look, I, I directed that movie. I'm telling you that the sound is missing. He says, I have orders from the manager not to, not to put the sound on at the beginning. He said, why? He said, because the kids are getting up and dancing in the aisles. Yeah. So, you know, that really was the start. Rock around the clock, really, boom. But then you did get into movie writing, didn't you? Oh, sure. You? Yeah, where, where, did, where did that start then? When did you start that? Uh, the first feature film I did was uh, Strangers When We Meet with Kirk Douglas and Kim Novak, based on one of my novels. It's a lousy movie, but you know, a lot of the movies I've written have been lousy. Some of them have been okay. Uh, in, in uh, I guess it was 1960, uh, Alfred Hitchcock called and asked if I would like to do The Birds. And I said, yeah, sure. I would like to do the telephone book if he called me. <laughs> well, that was a good movie, isn't it? That was a good Yeah, I think it was good. It could have been better, but it was good. It was a good movie. It still scares people a little bit, which was my agenda. Hitch's agenda was to uh, gain respectability. Mine was to scare people. So there was sort of a compromise in it. When you write the books, what's your agenda? Because this, yeah, it's scary. Uh, it's... Um it's pretty violent in some places, but there's a kind of a, a bit of bubble about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, it, I'm a very happy guy these days. I, I have a new wife whom I adore. And the is that the secret of happiness? I, I think it's the secret of, of a good book, maybe. <laughs> I think so, because the, the 87 Precinct novels were getting sort of dark uh, for a while. I, I, I wrote three or four books where they were sort of somber, you know, that there was an undercurrent of, of unease, unhappiness, and the more recent ones, they've been kind of joyous, which is the way I feel these days, and uh, I think it reflects itself in the work, you know. If you're happy at home and you go into your office and sit at the computer, you, the, what comes out can't help but be happy. Okay, let's, um, let's sell the book for a moment. Oh, forget the book, let's just chat. <laughs> no, no, it's because it's, it's start, it's got a great start. Tell me who she is and what she's doing. Cassandra Jean Ridley is a, uh, a former Gulf War pilot who is running dope into Mexico to earn a quick hundred thousand bucks, whatever it is. And uh, she uh, unfortunately is carrying counterfeit money to pay for the dope with, without her knowledge. So she comes to an untimely end. And this is where the zoo comes in. The zoo, yeah. They find her naked on the coldest day of the year in the lion habitat at the zoo, being consumed by five healthy lions. And there... Imagine that. <laughs> and you crack a kind of tasteless joke. Which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the fact that, that part of her is in, in oh, one... Yes. Well, her leg, four-fifths of her is in the 87 precinct because the zoo is divided into two sections, one part of which is in the 87th, the other is in the 88th. So four-fifths of her is in the 87th, and her leg, the other fifth, is in the 88th, which is how Fat Ollie Weeks gets into the case. I didn't think that was tasteless. The lions thought it was very tasty. <laughs> and you even have, 
<laughs> the man who eats everything thinking. I mean, there are some tasteless bits, you have to admit. Well, I don't know. One reviewer in the state said uh, there is a gruesome scene where she's being eaten by lions in the zoo. And I was startled, to tell the truth, because I thought it was a very amusing scene. Didn't you? No? Kind of. Oh, I didn't know. What did your new wife think? She thought it was funny. But she's from Yugoslavia. <laughs> I was going to ask you, because <laughs> you, you warmed to this woman, this pilot at the beginning, you know, and she buys furs and things. I was thinking, can you give me three adjectives to describe her before she gets eaten? Smart, tough, opportunistic. I liked her a lot, you know, I, I really... You, you sometimes get attached to car characters and you hate to see them go, but, you know, everybody has to go <laughs> And three adjectives to describe your Yugoslavian wife? Beautiful, smart, tough, ambitious, supportive, encouraging, wonderful. Uh, those are more than three words, I'm sorry. Yeah. But she sounds wonderful. The, the novel is hugely entertaining. It's called Money, Money, Money. It's published in the UK by Orion, and it's the latest from Ed McBain. Great to see you. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Thank you. Mm. This is the Author Archive Podcast.